So what's working like, life under lockdown? How has it changed? How has it changed for us, I mean? Oh, for goodness sake, it's changed for everybody, hasn't it? But the point is, there may be differences, different ways in which we've all adapted to deal with the work environment now we're under lockdown. For us, the transformation has been massive. Now, let me explain. I work for the Next Century Foundation, a small not-for-profit foundation that works for peace in the Middle East particularly, but has a broader focus and is based on the four freedoms. Freedom from fear, freedom from want, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, you know, Roosevelt's great four freedoms. So it's a charity that's been going for 30 years and it's done some good work and it's volunteer and intern-led by and large. Rarely has many employees and I've been sustained by it because it's given me a great hope in an era of disquiet i think there always are wars and rumors of wars there's always man's inhumanity to man but the point is that i think things are getting better anyway that aside coronavirus what has it done to us well the background to this is that we were moving our head office along with brexit we were moving our head office to europe it was our plan our full intention that was a combination of forced circumstances we had a main office in london but it was very expensive to maintain plus there was an offer of an office in Paris or close to Paris uh, for a peppercorn rent for just nominal. Well, that all fell through, made the move to Europe much less likely, but and there was another offer from a dear ex-intern of, of an office in, in southern Italy. So we thought, oh, well, maybe we'll still, we'll still do it. I mean, this is a free office, and in southern Italy, the accommodation costs were low, and I had the thing up. I, I got cancer, and for practical reasons, we had to just abandon all ideas of a European move because I was out of action for a year, couldn't coordinate it. We moved to to Cornwall, at least I and my wife did. And the foundation went on in the sense of our dear and trusted volunteers worked on. We did various things. One of our trustees joined forces with another of our trustees and helped put together a lead role in our conference in Washington last year. There were various things that kept going. But essentially, our foundation was treading water. I recovered and we did some work in Iraq, which was fun, really outstanding at the end of last year. A couple of trips to Iraq. It was very exciting. And Iraq has been a, a key area of work for us for years. But, but, but basically, we were treading water. I was still under chemotherapy. Things were difficult. We were based down in Cornwall. And then COVID-19 struck. And we had zero funding. We still have virtually zero funding. I mean, nobody's paid, nobody earns anything. But COVID-19, a terrible, horrible, horrible problem, but with a blessing in its hands. Now, has it transformed the way we work? Of course, we can't travel, not in reality, but virtually we can conduct meetings on Yemen or Bahrain or Libya or Iraq or the Middle East peace process in Israel and Palestine or Syria 
or Kashmir, and we can do it from our living room. We can bring in people from Gaza or from Baghdad to meetings online. It's fantastic. I mean, why did we could always have done this, could we? Well, no, we couldn't. For why? Because it wasn't common practice, because people didn't accept it. And even now, it's remarkably new. I mean, it's cutting edge. And to do it well requires a different approach. Now, when I say a different approach, how can I explain this? People do keep fit classes. My wife attends them online. And they're very good, in a sense. But they switch on. They do their 30, 40-minute keep fit class. And then they say goodbye, and they switch off. It's not truly interactive. Well, how can you be interactive with a group of, of 20 people going, jumping up and down when you jump up and down. My wife also belongs to a little local keep fit class online for people. She has multiple sclerosis and, and it's specifically for people with MS. And here there are, there's a good bunch of people, but it's run differently. So the difference is that they gather online a little before the meeting. So they slowly assemble and they say hi to each other. And, you know, this takes 20 minutes maybe as they come on and so on, get together. And then eventually the, the instructing lady gets started. And then somebody new comes on, arrives late, and she pauses and says, Oh, hello, Cynthia. Good, good, you've come and joined us. That's great. We're well, just here. And, and then she goes back to her class. And she keeps going for, what, 30, 40 minutes. She uses Skype, actually, because it's cheaper for her. Obviously, the quality isn't as good, but, uh, but still... Away she goes, and at the end of the meet, end of the class, then they, they linger. They all go and brew a cup of coffee and they chat and so on. The point is, it's truly interactive. Now it's the same with our kind of work. You see, people do this kind of meeting. I mean, we use a program called Go to Meeting, which is useful because it has better confidentiality than Zoom or Skype. But it has its downside because people are not used to it, and so they don't find it as easy to hook up. And it's it, indeed it's not as well built in that sense. But we use that one. We like to be different, I guess. So the the point is not the difference in the program we use. The difference is that people who connect and do these call them very often they call them things like webinars. What a stupid name. Anyway, these online meetings, they treat them like lectures. So they'll have a panel of two or three people who will address all the humble participants. And then the humble participants get to ask questions. But it's not really interactive. It's not a meeting. And of course, that's boring. And people do join in, but they don't really, and they get tired of it, and they, they do it because they have nothing else to do. Whereas you can use this technology and make it really participative. You can still have a main speaker and, and still have dialogue, but bringing everybody in is amazing rather than sort of lecturing them. Then it becomes awesome, and you have people from all over the world. Working group meetings, to which all in sundry are invited, or high-level meetings where we thunder on with the very key people that we work very hard to bring along, and they come. It's exciting, it's amazing, it's the way forward, and it's the way we'll be working from now on in. You, you see other groups doing it too, and, and some do it well, some do it badly. Places of religion use this kind of technology. And you see some, I mean, for instance, churches. Okay, I'm, I'm a Christian, so let me deal with my tradition. There are two or three churches in with, with which we have a relationship. But we only go to one of them, the one that does Zoom 
services. The others, I mean, and there are a couple of others that are wonderful in normal times, and we might go to in normal times, but what they're doing, they're live streaming their services. They're going to immense trouble doing all this good work, filming themselves and putting it on YouTube and goodness knows what. Nobody goes because it's not interactive, because they're not part of a community. Huge effort they make for nobody. I mean, well, they're preaching to a handful um, of their original congregation. So doing this all, all of this for half a dozen people, whereas the one that's doing the only church I know of, um, St. Stephen's Westminster, it happens to be, but it doesn't matter, that's doing a Zoom meeting. A huge congregation. I mean, the numbers are amazing. And they linger afterwards. That's key. Very important, the lingering afterwards and gathering before and the general muddled nature of the whole event makes it a community, makes you part of it, makes it matter. And see old friends and know they're alive and wave at them. It matters. So different approaches. And people cope. Some people cope with this lockdown world and some people don't. And there's another dimension. I mean, we used to have, when we had a London office, we had piles of interns who'd come in and work from the office. And we loved it. It was a delight. We had one intern, a girl from Birmingham. We did a lot of work on Kashmir. It was the consequence of that one intern's uh, engagement. She came down, stayed with us. And we do depend on interns, you know. It, it increases our footprint. They keep us alive. They keep us bright. We're a charity. And yes, volunteers are wonderful. And we depend on volunteers too. And we have some high-level older volunteers. I mean, people who matter but the interns matter and now in a lot online universe they're coming from all over the world transformed our lives and working from home so you can do anything now the world has changed now it's a new tomorrow now and we must embrace it